Welcome to Jewish Boy Calls His Mother. I'm your host, Saadia Engster, and this is my mother, Ima. Hello, Ima. Hi, how are you? And I hope you're eating your vegetables and you're getting enough sleep and you're doing enough exercises, being a good boy. I'm doing whatever I can. Pass. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing what, look, COVID-19, <laughs> same. Um, yeah, so... Don't let a little deadly virus stop you. Come on. Of course not. <laughs> of course not. Uh, so this week's topic, like we teased a little bit last week, uh, had to do with traveling. Um, I know I had my experience with traveling and you have as well. Um, we, I know I've, I've had a little more adventurous times. Um, I went to Israel, Egypt, Jordan. Um, I've been to Italy. I've been to Amsterdam. And a lot of, I had a lot of good times, you know, but definitely there were some moments where I was a little worried. Um, This one time, uh, it was right before I left Israel. Uh, We were at a bar and this guy came in with a machete and he was trying to attack us. And me and my friends, we threw some beer bottles at him and we were able to stall enough for the uh, cops to come and restrain him. Um, How did he take to the beer bottles? Uh, we were able to, we, he, he ran away. He was able to run a little further away down the streets. But as he was running away, that, that's when the cops came. And then they were able to like detain him and hold him down. Um, there, were, there was another time where I was walking with my friend and this guy was eyeballing me. It was at, late at night. And I didn't know what was going on. So I decided to be like, I get up in his face, I'm like, what's your problem? Do, are we, is there an issue? Like, why are you like, staring at me? And he gets up and he's about to, you know, looks like he's about to push me. And my friend just drags me and like, gets me to like, go away. I'm like, dude, what the, why, why'd you drag me away? And he's like, you didn't see that running van with the, with, with the door open right behind you? I'm like, nope. He's like, dude, you're about to get kidnapped. I'm like, oh, oh okay. Um, another time uh i was stuck in a riot um in jerusalem and i was trying to get away and there was this uh police officer on a horse and these police officers aren't like in america where you know they they try to hold some kind of restraint these guys are told to use zero restraint Ain't so no if such they, thing as police brutality charges in foreign nope, countries. <laughs> nope. There's no police brutality charges whatsoever. <laughs> so if they see you, they don't care if you're innocent, guilty. You're in that area, you get clocked. So I had to duck down into a bush and curl up in a ball and wait for everything to die down. And once everything died down, then I was able to get back, you know, up and, and go back to my dorms. Um, but it's nice. I mean, traveling is an adventure, you know, you you don't really know that. You, I mean, I, I knew the culture, but there's still part of it. I didn't know language. You're not so sure of, you know, you're still trying to figure things out. You meet new people from other countries that are visiting the same country you are, and you just exchange stories. And it's just, it's a lot of fun. Um, a one language story I kind of got messed up on was if someone speaks Hebrew uh, or Arabic, you might find this funny, but I was, I just came to Israel and I was at a bar and I wanted to be all like, look at me, I, I speak Hebrew. And I asked for a plastic cup. Now, plastic in Hebrew is like in English, it's called plastique. 
Uh, now, a cup in Hebrew is called a kos. A vagina in Hebrew is called a kus. <laughs> I asked for a kus plastique. Uh, basically, basically, I asked for a plastic vagina, and the waitress looked at me as if I was crazy, and then my friend had to correct me. I'm like, oh, okay, already. You live and learn. Well, uh, talking about, you know, <clears throat> such things, when your father and I were in Israel last time, uh, your brother took us to a Yemenite restaurant, and on the menu was something I wanted to order just for the sake of bragging rights, just so I could do it and say that I did. It was <clears throat> uh, bull's testicles. Ooh, I think it's called, I think it's called, like, they're called blue oysters or something like that. I think that's actually, like, a delicacy. Blue crab. It's called bl blue crab? <laughs> no. Um, well, you're talking about, like, you know, we're, ta we're talking about, like, you know, funny things that happened to us. You know, to, you know there's a reason why movies and books ha that are comedies have been written about Americans traveling to foreign countries because the cultures are so just completely diverse and the funny things that happen to Americans, for some reason going, you know, going to foreign countries. Um, there was one incident where, well, first of all, I, when, I, when I first went to Israel in 1973 and I heard all this Hebrew being spoken around me and at that time, very few people spoke English, French. In 1973, um, mo the most prevalent language in Israel at that time was French, not English. And I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, I was like, I felt like running up to the people around me and saying, hey, I just graduated cum laude with a BA degree. I'm really an intelligent person. I'm really not stupid. <laughs> but when your father and I went to Israel um, just a few years ago, there was a funny incident that happened to us. Um, we were going we were going that morning to, Heb to Hebron, and um, it was a very, very busy morning. It was early in the morning. It was like commute commuter traffic, and we were going to the bus station. We we're going to have breakfast there and then get on the bus to Hebron, and so when we came into the bus station, I didn't realize that you're supposed to take your pocketbook and put it on the other side of the metal detector. I thought you go through the metal detector holding your pocketbook. Well, that particular morning, I had dressed in a long black skirt and I was wearing a very large black kerchief, you know, had scarf. And I didn't realize it till later, but evidently a lot of Palestinian women dress like that. Plus I was carrying this big bag with me. It's big, big, big pocketbook, huge. Almost like a tote, it was actually a tote bag. Now, you know, your father and your brother take more after your father's side of the family is tall and very white, very Ashkenazic looking. I'm small and dark. So the female guard that was at the doorway sees what looks like a small Palestinian woman, woman carrying this big bag. And I didn't want to lose them because it was so much. Oh, shit. There were so many. It, it was so crowded at the, at the bus station. I didn't want to get lost in the crowd. So I was coming in behind your father and your brother, very, very close to them, carrying a huge tote bag. It looked like this little Palestinian woman is trying to sneak in this big bag behind these two big Ashkenazic Jewish guys. Well, the guard 
let out a scream. I mean, bloody murder. She was screaming like crazy. Your brother very quickly turns around, runs to her, and I see him talking to her very, very quickly and pointing to me and talking. And I walk over and I said, hey, um, what's going on? And the guard looks at me and ah, she gives me a nice smile and a and she, I can see she, you know, she lets out this like, uh, this like sigh of relief. And your brother turns to me and says, she thought you were a Palestinian terrorist trying to sneak in a bomb. Oh God. Well, <laughs> what's funny you say that about mis- misidentification. Um, me and, me and Yosef, we actually, when we, when we went to Egypt and Jordan, and we went to Jordan and Egypt, and we went to Israel from Jordan, Egypt, we had a rule. Yosef spoke to, every, to the Israeli border guards in, in Hebrew, and I kept quiet. And then when I went into Egypt and Jordan, because I look you know, more Middle Eastern, more dark, I'm darker skin and whatnot, I spoke to them in the Arabic that I knew, and just to warm them up and have a more, have a more friendlier transition. And we actually got um, a free six-month visa in, in Jordan, and we got um, a half-price three-month visa in Egypt. Oh my! Is that the way I was spoken? How did them. you guys manage that? What did you get? What did yeah, you, you come in with a smile and say "Kifallah, baby," and you let them talk a little longer. You just do the smile and the nod, and then you just be like, "Ah!" Oh, you show them your passport, and they're like, "Ah!" Oh. And also, my 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 name is uh, is Egyptian. Actually, so, yeah, you mentioned something to me that after you came back from that trip, you asked me why I spelled your name the way I did. And I said, the reason I spelled your name the way I did on your birth certificate is because of all the years I had studied Spanish and Italian. And I just automatically spelled it like that, uh, you know, phonetically with the, with the I sounding like a hard E. And you said to me, yes, because you said to me, that's the way that it's spelled in Arabic. <laughs> oh, great. But you were telling me coming back over the border to Israel, you had some really funny stories. Oh, yes, yes. So... Um, the problem, the, the problem with my name and the reason why Yosef was the one that first spoke in Hebrew was because I was the one that was being patted down every single time. Um, and after our trip from Egypt to, uh, Israel, I was tired. I was really tired and I was done being patted down and done being like sorted out. And like, basically like they, they look at me, they size me up and they assume, you know, the worst. And... I got tired, so I said, fine, screw it. And I went ahead and I just stripped down to my boxers. I'm like, you want to pat me down, pat me down. <laughs> and they, they got the hint. Uh, but then there, we were giving, putting our bags in uh, to the x-ray, and the lady in charge of the extra, x-ray screams, ah, chatul, chatul, which means cat in Hebrew. And I'm like, did somebody sneak a mummified cat into our bag? Like, what happened? Nope, a cat was just lying there in the x-ray, just chilling. And like, what, what she screamed and whatnot, like, it, 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 ran, it ran away. That's funny. But, but I, I think there's people, though, that, uh, might, that are listening to our podcast and might not be aware um, that uh, the, the ancient Egyptians um, did mummify cats. If there was a cat that was uh, Pyro's favorite cat or something, after Pyro died, if the cat died, they would actually mummify it and they would put it in the tomb. So you were probably quite frightened that maybe some Egyptian was trying to frame you by sticking one of those cat mummies in your bag. Well, because what happened was, was that we, it was a really, it was really interesting. We went to Egypt two, year, two weeks before the Arab Spring. 
So tension was really high in that place and people were being very cautious of one another. Um, I, was, I was given the tour by this, this Christian woman uh, that was there and she was telling me how worried she was. Um, and I was in, I, and I don't think anyone else really understands the gravity of the situation unless you were there, but I was, they, they, to travel between Israel and Egypt and actually get to Cairo, there's like a six hour drive in, this, in, the, um, in the desert, the Sinai Peninsula. And there also as a, as a religious Jew, I have religious obligations to, to do prayer. Um, and I had to put on my tefillin, my religious phylacteries. So I was able to put on my Rashi and my Beno Tom tefillin when the back seat of a, a, an Arab convoy of people tra traveling. And I wasn't so sure how kindly they were to religious Jews. So I would just like kind of hit, hit a little bit um, and was able to do my prayers and then uh, leave. But the place itself was really neat. I really enjoyed, you know, going to, going to Egypt, seeing the pyramids. They're a lot smaller than you'd think. Uh, obviously with, with, with cinematography and whatnot. Ooh, also I wanted to tell you, uh, there was this uh, documentary uh, me and Ruthie uh, saw recently, and it was a documentary about the, um, this area in Egypt where they do these excavations and they found a mummified baby lion. Wow. Yeah. So that was like the first of its kind. Wow. Really cool. So, some pot, so, some pharaoh um like the it was his favorite baby lion that died that passed away. Oh Something God. like that. Yeah, it was just it was really neat. That's uh -huh. it's like we unfortunately we only had like twelve hours to be there, so we had to like go through everything really quick in Egypt. I wish I could stay there longer. I wish I traveled more, but like it, it is what it is. But it was really really cool. Uh, now you I remember you telling me a story back in the day about you being in Switzerland and meeting a, what, Nigerian prince or like royalty um, or something? No, this was, no, what happened was um, I, um, in my junior year of college, they had uh, during something called mini-mester and during the mini-mester, they were offering a group tour of the educational system of Italy. And it was only $300. And this included, oh my goodness, this included airfare it was a chartered plane and hotels food everything was amazing so um we stayed at a student dormitory called Fordo Italico in um Rome and incidentally the um they had a track there this beautiful track that had been built by Mussolini and Mussolini built this uh running track based on uh Greek model where he had statues of Greek gods and goddesses all around the track. And this, this track was built, I think, like in uh, the early 1930s. So I was into running. So I went to the track to run around. And it was so weird running around this track. And here, it's not, you know, and when you, you see, you're, you're running around this track and you're surrounded with these with this beautiful, amazing statuary, like big, big statuary all around you. Now, but when I was in Italy, so when I was there, the Italy, um, there are a lot of students from Africa whose parents will send them to study in Italy because they want them, of course, to get a good education. They want them also to have like a more Western education. And so there were many students there from uh, Africa 
who either whose parents were either big people in the government or very wealthy industrialists or the uh, the sons of the chiefs of the tribes so there was this man young man i met there from um upper somaliland and very nice he, he took me out to dinner uh, he um he was the son of the chief of his tribe and that's why his father was sending him to be educated in italy so he had these gashes on his face that um you could tell that these were not like violent um gashes from a fight these were it, it was a it was a pattern it was a regular like almost like an artistic pattern on his face of these two gashes on both sides of his cheeks and it, it was obviously it was these were made intentionally so i asked him what these were about and he said that it's the custom of the people of his tribe that if your mother lost a lot of children before you were able to survive to say an appreciable age and it looked like you were going to survive to adulthood that they would put these gashes they would act they would actually make these gashes on your face as a sign of mourning for the children that your mother had lost and he told me he had a sister and he says his sister also had those gashes so what's so interesting is when you read the torah where it says don't you are not allowed to make gashes on your skin for those who are deceased um i actually saw this that's really cool i actually saw somebody who I actually saw somebody from a culture that actually continues to do this. That's really neat. That's why, I, that, again, that's why it's so much fun to go ahead and travel. I mean, I know I also, I used to hitchhike a little bit when I was in Israel. I mean, you got to be careful and know what you're doing because you could either, you know, be totally fine or have your head cut off. But like, yes, I, I tried hitchhiking in Israel too. I would not, I do not recommend it. <laughs> I, I was fine. I got to where I needed to get to. And there actually were like certain spots, but like, yeah, it's it's kind of funny where it's like it's like you do realize it's it's like literally you can either get someone who's willing to help you out and drive you all the way to your home and make sure that you're safe or like total opposite. <laughs> but yes. um, wait, so did you ever ever hitchhike when you were in Switzerland or sweet was it Sweden like Switzer how did it was Switzerland? Yes, yes, I did. I hitched I hitchhiked in Switzerland from um, Zurich to Bern. Um, by beautiful, the, the countryside there is beautiful, the mountains. Um, I took a cable car up one of the mountains and the Jungfrau, I think it was, it was. During the summertime, all these places are usually, well, during the wintertime, all these places are usually skiing resorts. But during the summertime, they're, they're very, very beautiful just, just to go hiking like that. And um, the, I spoke, before I did this, I spoke to some young girls in the airport to make sure, I've heard rumors that hitchhiking in Switzerland at that time in 1973 was very safe. I understand from people living in Switzerland now, it is, it's no longer safe because of all the immigration they've had from third world countries. But at that time it was safe and a lot of girls my age told me, yeah, that they hitchhiked all the time and that it was you know, perfectly safe and uh, it was okay. Except one girl said, well, there might be, she goes, there's only one thing that's not safe about it. I said, what? She goes, if the car you're riding gets into, the, gets into an accident, the insurance won't pay for your injuries. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. I said, if she considers that not safe, boy, it's got to be safe. So um, 
I got, um, so I, I got a ride with uh, a gentleman who had this beautiful, beautiful sound system in his car. And I got in, I thought, oh boy, I'm in for a treat. Well, I didn't realize what a horrendously horrible experience I was about to have. It was 45 minutes of German rock and roll. Now, German rock and roll today is a little different from what German rock and roll was in 1973. But can you imagine having to sit there for 45 minutes listening to the German brass band going oompa, 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 oompa with a rock beat? Oh, God, a rock beat polka music. I, no. Yes. I can't. I can't. Which reminds me, by the way, because you mentioned Germany. I was in... So I was in Amsterdam um, as a stopover, and I definitely was curious to try the Amsterdam special. And I went ahead and I just rolled a small joint in one of the ca uh, cafes, sm started smoking a little bit, and just you know walking around appreciating the architecture. And I see this Russian guy with his girlfriend. So me being friendly, like, hey, you want you want to hit? He's like, sure. And then like, and I didn't realize that in Russia, the culture is if you give something, if you give something to them, they give it back to you almost tenfold. So he said, come here. I'll, I got some more to, sh I got some stuff to give to you. So I said, sure, no problem. <laughs> and he makes this, this hash bong with such intense smoke. Like I try to have it and I just, boom, I'm gone. And like, I am totally lost. And I'm trying to like ask people like, um, I have my flight to go to in two hours. I need to get to the airport. And I'm like, and luckily there's this one, this one kid, definitely from Amsterdam, definitely used to this stuff. Was like, here, let me show you. And like, literally helped me from the airline, all, from the from the train station. He drove he with me all the way to the airport. Oh, and I was sweet. like, sat there, just like sitting there. And I was like, had a conversation with like some random uh, other couple, uh, other Jewish couple that was about to go to Israel. We were like, getting, like we were getting really friendly, and then the Israeli, you know, guys go ahead and they like they they start like questioning me and whatnot. And he and they're like, "Do you know each other?" And we look at each other, we're like, "Oh no 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 no, we don't know each other." Like, like I don't know, you, like let's just not have that issue. But he gave me. I remember the, this this the guy gave me. Um, he he made homemade beef jerky, which was really good. Oh wow. And then I get on the flight and I crack out. God. You were lucky you were able to make it on the plane. Oh, yes. No, yeah. I was very, very lucky I was able to make it on the plane. Seriously. But you, you, know, you brought up like a few things like um, if, when your father and I were in Israel, like some of the horrendously hysterical things that happened. Sometimes we were driving and, in Yerushalayim and we were just following the GPS. Oh, no. And the GPS says, make a right-hand turn onto Yaffa Street. So we make the right-hand turn, and we see all these people are running towards us and yelling and screaming and waving their arms. And so one guy comes up to our car, and your father opens the window and says, excuse me, um, is, this, uh, is this Yaffa Street? And the guy was American. He says, yes, it's Yaffa Street, but you better get out of here right away. And your father says, why? He says, you are riding on the metro tracks. <laughs> yeah. Which, I, I remember Yaffa when it wasn't a metro track. I remember, when, I remember when it wasn't. I remember when they were in the middle of doing it. I remember when they finished it. And Yerushalayim is definitely, definitely changes. It's, Israel itself is such a young country. It's developing so quickly that like your experience in the 70s was nothing like your experience in 2000. And like, I would say what you went, you went there at 2012, 2014. Yes. 
Yeah, uh -huh. you're right. You're absolutely right. Because um, when we were there, I, I purposely, I wanted to ride around some of the places where I had been in 1973. Very different. I could barely recognize it. And these very commercialized, these, there were some places where they were like almost like foot, foothills. And now they're totally commercialized. There's, um, there was this one neighborhood. Well, when I was in there in 73, I, I decided to volunteer at a youth center for underprivileged children. And the very, very depressed, like it was like almost like a slum-like neighborhood where these kids were living has been totally replaced with this beautiful shopping mall where I couldn't afford, now, I, where I cannot afford any single, I cannot afford any of the prices there. <laughs> yeah, that's, well, that's interesting. That's the other thing they have an issue with in Israel where it's just the price of living has gone up so high that people are moving to Berlin. Mm -hmm. it's all, it was a whole big thing in Germany. Really? Like I think, I, think oh some, I think some Israeli went ahead and like did this whole receipt like comparison where like the amount of money I spend in, in Berlin compared to how much I'm spending in Israel. Oh man, but um, back, to, back to traveling. Um, did you do any traveling, I guess, in the United States, any road trips? Road trip, United States road trips. Maybe a road trip to Canada. Ooh, I have a road trip. I have a Canadian road trip story. We, um, um, I was, well, I was, a, I was a counselor at a camp and um, it was part of Shana. I was camp, it was a camp in the Laurentian Mountains in Montreal. And um, I, I was in charge of the bus that went from Crown Heights to there. Um, and it was, you know, very, very, the, 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 uh, the atmosphere there is um, the, the woods, the beautiful, it was a beautiful trip. The foliage, the mountains, everything is just very, very beautiful. Coming back, the last night of camp was the last night for the summer. And so we decided not to have, uh, we decided not to have lights out at all. We decided instead to let these kids stay up and party as much as they want. That's Plus, awesome. we wanted to clean out the kitchen. We, it was open kitchen, uh, ice cream, open party, the whole camp, even the little kids, you know, nobody went to bed that night. It was music blaring and everyone just walking around and eating and talking and, you know, getting together in the bunks and singing and just having a good time. Well, by dawn's early light, we get back on the bus and by the time we hit the United States border, everybody was dead in their seats. I was halfway asleep and I see the border guard get on the bus, looks around, and he calls out, okay, everybody here, American? And everybody's sleeping, goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. goes, okay, fine. <laughs> oh, wow. See, I, I, I had a similar situation, well, not, actually, no, I, it wasn't similar. It was totally different. Me and my friends at the age of 18 decided to go into the Canadian border to buy alcohol. And turns out that one of my friends basically freaked out and told the Canadian police that he had alcohol already in his car, in his car and that it was his father's. Oh, no. And we were like, oh, my God. And like, at this point, like, all of our, he had all of our passports. The Canadian guard had all the passports. And he's like, well, you know what? You can go ahead and, and drink, uh, drink and drive when you're, when you're in America, but you don't do it in Canada. And he gave us back our passports and let us back, let us into Canada. And we're like, what? Wait, what do we do with this information? And like, we kind of like freaked out a little bit and we got worried that we we're going to get caught. So we decided to like not do it and decide to just go ahead and, and, and go back to America and just 
like ask, ask somebody to buy us alcohol like normal teenagers and then uh, we just got drunk at a park i don't uh, understand the you know the big deal that's made of alcohol in this country i think it i think it creates more problems than it solves of course it does well that's why i'm so happy about oregon did you not hear what oregon what fully happened? legalized every single recreational drug what about alcohol <laughs> no, it, it, oh. it, they legalized it. Well, what do you mean? Like alcohol is legalized from what, age 18 or what? No. Uh, okay, so alcohol is legalized, of course, until age of 21. But Oregon just made, it, made a declaration and finally basically said that um, any kind of drug you have, you get a $100 fine or you get put into rehab if you're caught with it. That, that makes sense. Well, what I can't understand, though, is most of the country, most countries in this world either have no drinking age or 18. That's usually international standard, you know, for a lot of, for maybe the, the main 10 industrialized nations. Why the United States makes a 21, I just don't understand. It's ridiculous. I mean, you've got young people in the military that are 18. I mean, stupid. A young, somebody who's fighting in a war or is in the military goes into a bar 18 years old. What? They're going to not let them have a drink? It's it's really, it's really ridiculous. Well, well that's why when I, was in, when I was in Israel and drinking age is 18 there, it was great. It was awesome. We all like basically drank so much that eventually we got kind of sick of it. Um, and that's what's kind of the whole deal is that they, they notice even in America that they have that there's more binge drinking in America than anywhere else in the, in the entire world because we have so many alcoholic restraints up until 21. It's like, it's like pulling a freaking rubber band and then all the way to end and then you're snapping it off and then it goes, goes nuts. Um, but I just want to say that I think we're uh, I think we're at our limit um, for the time. But okay. I want to thank you for joining me, and I want to thank our listeners for listening. Um, so okay, I hope it's, everyone. It's been fun. Yeah, this this is a fun <laughs> thing to do. Actually, it's like a nice I didn't little. Know, I didn't know about you getting kidnapped. You didn't. You kept that from me. <laughs> I didn't tell you a lot of things. You're gonna find out throughout this podcast. I've done so much and kept my mouth shut so tight. Uh, it's gonna be hilarious. All right. I love you, Emma. Love you, honey. Have a great Shabbos. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hi. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe and share. I really appreciate it. And my mother does as well. <laughs>